listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. continuing our study through the Sermon on the Mount. If you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. The way that we roll here at Renaissance, we just go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And so today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 through 30. Be reading through the English Standard Version if you'll stand and read along uh, in your Bibles as I read this text out loud. Jesus gathered his disciples on the mountain, and he spoke these words, beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Church, this is God's word. You may be seated. Well, over the next two weeks, I'll be preaching this week and Pastor Rob next week. We'll be discussing some more challenging subjects. And for some of you, we might introduce some topics that uh, younger kids may not be as familiar with. And those topics won't be things like predestination or covenantalism. As you read the text, as you're probably reading on your own, you can guess what some of those topics will be over the next two weeks. One thing I commit to you today is that I will not be vulgar in the things that I discuss, but I also commit to teach the text and to apply it in very relevant ways for us. And as there's kids sitting even here in the front of our gathering, I'm certain that some of the things that I bring up today might spark some conversations on your ride home or later on this evening. And I say that is a good thing. Because I would rather you have these conversations with your kids than for their friends to have these conversations with them. But I'm also sure that as I speak today, sharing some of the things that I'll share, that there will be some among us who struggle in some of these areas. And as you are knowing this topic, as we just read the text, I'm sure some of you might even begin sweating in your seats in this moment. It is my hope that by the end of this sermon that you will walk away not feeling crushed by the things that are discussed, but you walk away with great hope in Jesus Christ. As we jump into this uh, discussion today about lust and adultery, uh, if you keep up with the news, you might be familiar with some of the recent headlines about Bill Gates. Uh, He's been in the headlines quite a bit lately, and 
Uh, he recently filed for divorce from his wife of 27 years. And in our culture, divorce isn't that surprising. But as more of the details about why the divorce is happening came out, some of them were more surprising. About a year ago, Bill Gates was replaced as the leader of the board at Microsoft. And at the time, uh, people thought that it was just maybe a time for a change to happen. But now, as more details have come out, we found out why the change took place. For years, Bill Gates has been hitting on younger female employees of his, and it came out that he's been in a long-term relationship with one of them. In the last couple of weeks, as the story developed, we found out that he's been in close friendship with Jeffrey Epstein, this guy who did terrible things on this private island of his. And Epstein has been advising Gates on different ways to leave his wife. As we see these news stories come out, it's clear that Bill Gates' actions are wrong committed adultery. And here in this passage, Jesus quotes one of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not have a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse. Our culture, we don't need a Bible to tell us that these things are wrong. We live in a culture that condemns adultery. You can just see in some of the news stories about Bill Gates that this is how our culture thinks about adultery. You see the harm of his actions and the consequences that his actions have caused on his wife for 27 years and his three kids. This man who's been looked up to for his brilliant inventions and his great philanthropy in the community and all the different things that he's done. He's now viewed as a dirty old man who has used his position to hit on girls who work for him. But just like last week in the relationship between murder and anger, Jesus raises the stakes in this passage. He says this in verses 27 and 28. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is talking about looking at someone else lustfully, staring on them with desire. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. See, he's saying you may not be engaged in this sexual act, but if you're always longing, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus is saying that lust is the beginning stage of adultery. That our sexual desires are fueled by our eyes. And today, I hope that there's none in the room who are having an affair. But I'm guessing by some of the stats that I'll share that there are many who are struggling with the lust of their eyes. Looking on someone with desire who's not their spouse. And there's a spectrum on these things, right? It can be something as... Miners seeing someone walking down the sidewalk and staring extra long at them. To intentionally putting yourselves in situations so that you can see that person again. To watching movies or series online of shows that push the boundaries. To intentionally searching for provocative images online. 
to looking at things that are full nudity or live scenes of people that are engaged in the act. Covenant Eyes recently just partnered with the Barna Research Group to just show us just how extensive this problem is. Check out some of these stats with me here on the screen. They say this, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. And it's not just people that are out in the world. Check out these stats about those who are in the church. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. 76% of young Christian adults ages 18 through 24 years old actively search for porn. And this is not just a guy problem. Check this out. 33% of women age 25 and under, search for porn at least once a month. And if lust is a spectrum, these stats are just talking about pornography. Think about how much greater these struggles are on some of the other lustful tendencies. For some of you parents in the room, you might think, hey, this is inappropriate for me to be throwing out there with young people here present. But I stand before you as someone who first viewed pornography when I was in sixth grade. And that was with my Christian friends at a sleepover at a Christian home. And that was a long time ago, well uh, before the days of having a cell phone in my hand, back in the days of DSL internet. Check out some of these stats that the Barnard Research Group put out about young people. Say the average age that a child is first exposed to porn is 11. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the last 12 months. And these stats don't include very common trend of kids texting images to one another. I don't know if you're aware of this, but before uh, Angela and I moved to Pittsburgh, I was the pastor of children and youth at a church in the Louisville area. And I'm telling you that these stats are true. I've dealt with these things time and time again. I'm telling you, if you have kids, these things are a problem whether you're aware of it or not. And if they're not now, they will be soon. And some of you may be thinking in your mind, oh, no, I have good kids. This will never happen in our home. And I'm telling you, if that's what you think, then you are a prime target because you're likely behind on preparing for these things. We live in a culture that publicly condemns adultery. But our culture is much more accepting of looking lustfully at someone at the gym. may even joke about it. Much more accepting of watching graphic movies or even pornography. Our culture says, hey, as long as what I'm doing doesn't hurt someone else, it's okay. I'm just looking. These things are acceptable. And Jesus did not say the things that he did in this passage just to add some extra rules to us. He knew as our creator, 
that these behaviors bring brokenness in our lives. See, the problem is that lust is never satisfied. It's never just one look. It's never just one picture. Lust starts in the heart and then it grows and grows until we become like a ravaging animal, always seeking more and more. God created sex. God created sexual desire. But as our creator, he knew that sex and sexual lust outside of marriage brings pain and great destruction. Looking on someone else with this great desire damages marriages. I've heard many single people tell me this. They say, hey, as soon as I get married, then all this lust problem that I have will go away. That's just not true. Look at this stat from Barna. It says that 50%, 56% of American divorces involve one party having, having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And in my role at Oak Park Baptist Church where I came from, I have many personal stories of how the lust of the eye grew to cause great destruction. When we first started attending there, serving as volunteers in the student ministry, it became public that there was a dad in the church who had for a long time been looking at pornography. And then he began acting out sexually with his 12-year-old stepdaughter. And now this man is in prison for 20 years and his family is a wreck. I personally counseled both a 15-year-old boy and another 16-year-old boy who were both looking at pornography. And as a result of exploring their sexual desires, they did sexual things with their younger relatives. And one of those families was a total mess. The dad was even providing some of these opportunities for his kid. But the other family seemed like a perfect Christian family. They had done great things to protect their home. Their kids had been homeschooled and they made their son use a laptop in the room with them. But the kid found ways to seek out his sexual desires. See, the problem is that you can't control all the inputs because the sin lies within. It's in our heart. I've counseled many who have been addicted to their lust and acting out on it. They want to stop, but they're haunted day and night by these things. And the studies show that people are literally addicted the same things are happening in their brain as if they were using heroin. I'm guessing that there might even be some who come to church this morning and you're so sexually charged that you're having lustful thoughts today with others in this room. And in all of these instances, lust is destroying people's lives. As I engage with people, I hear people often say, man, I wonder what God's will is for my life. I'm wondering what God's will is for me about this job that I should take. Or what's God's will for me and who I should date. Where, what's God's will for me on where I should move. 
I can stand before you very confident today and tell you what God's will is. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Your holiness. Your purity. Paul goes on to say this. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is God's will for you, to be holy, to be pure. And listen, you may do a good job of keeping things hidden from others in your life, but you cannot keep things hidden from God. This passage tells us that if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you at all times. And there may be some who come today and you're listening to these things and you feel very self-righteous. I hear this news about Bill Gates and I, I thank God that I'm not like him. I thank God that I'm not like Jeffrey Epstein. But Jesus points out to us, if you have a pattern of staring at another with sexual desire, that you also are guilty. And he gives us a very clear command to stop. And I hope that you hear the consequences that I've shared as a warning. But I'm also sure that there are many others who know the things that they're doing is wrong. And you want to stop. But it's a daily struggle. Especially in the summertime when there's people wearing less clothes out in public. And in the good news of this passage, Jesus gives us a path for victory. Look what Jesus says here in chapter 5, verses 29 through 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members... Then that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You hear these statements, you say, how could that be good news? Jesus' statements sound crazy. Let me give you a little story to illustrate this. Uh, my family, we live in the Greenfield neighborhood, and we live on Greenfield Avenue. It's the main thoroughfare that goes through our neighborhood, and in the afternoon, there's a lot of traffic, a lot of people coming out of the city and heading out into the suburbs. And my wife and I, we have three young boys, and it is my greatest desire to care for them, to protect them. And we have very clear rules for our boys that they are not allowed to go into the front yard without us. And if we walk down the street to go somewhere, they must hold our hand. We allow them to play in the backyard all they want, unsupervised, but they cannot go out front. And just last week, 
a three-year-old boy, he decided to disobey. And he opened the gate to the back and he went out front. And I was very harsh with him in my discipline. And as you hear that, you say, oh, Joshua, you're just mean. You're overreacting. I don't think so. Most would say that that's being very reasonable. Our three-year-old is a very clumsy kid. And all it takes is for one little trip, one push from his brother, and he's out into the road with extreme consequences. It's just too dangerous. The risk is just too high. He can play in the backyard all he wants, but he must stay out of the front yard without us. And if you are struggling to control your sexuality, far too often people go right out to the curb of a busy street and they play there. And then something happens, a moment of weakness, and they fall into the road and they're surprised when they get smacked by a bus. And Jesus is telling us in this passage that for us to overcome our lust, we must be radical. We must stay far away from the danger. Jesus is saying, hey, it's better to be without something than to be thrown into hell. And listen, I don't stand before you telling you these things as someone who's a perfect person speaking to all of you sinners out there. I first saw pornography as a sixth grader, and this was a regular part of my life, even into my adult years. And even when I broke the patterns of pornography, I continued to lust after images online on things that we commonly use like YouTube or social media or even ESPN app. And I knew these things were wrong. I read all kinds of books that have been written about this. I heard sermons preached. I repented. But I continued to fall into the road. And it wasn't until I discovered these principles in Matthew chapter 5 and began to implement them in my life that I found victory. I started to get as far away from the road as possible that I began to win. There were seasons of my life when I eliminated the internet from my phone altogether. And some of you might say, oh, well, we have to have internet in our palm at all times. And Jesus says, if the internet on your phone causes you to sin, it's better for you to lose the internet than to be cast into hell. Just last week, there was a friend of mine who was joking on me about how I don't follow him on Instagram. And sure, Instagram could uh, be helpful for our mission and uh, promoting things that we're doing, but I don't have Instagram. Jesus is saying this in this passage, if Instagram causes you to stumble, it's better for you to not have Instagram than to be cast into hell. I have covenant eyes on my phone. 
I really appreciate Covenant Eyes. Their new software is not just a filter that blocks stuff, but it also has screen monitoring technology. And every week there's two friends of mine who get a report. And the report has a sampling of screenshots that are blurred out in the email. And so when I'm using my phone, I know that these two brothers could also be seeing anything that I pull up on my phone. I highly recommend things like this. It's like putting a a fence next to the road that if you just so happen to trip the fences there to catch you. And sure, there's components of the app that may be a pain. It costs something like $12 a month. But Jesus is saying this, it is better for you to be slightly inconvenienced and to pay $12 a month than to be cast into hell. Jesus says we must be radical in our pursuit of holiness. And and if you're a person that's always lusting after someone at the gym, then quit going to the gym. Or don't go to the gym without a friend of yours. If you're dating someone and you often find yourself crossing the line with the person you're dating sexually when you're alone in your apartment at night after having drinks, then stop being alone in your apartment at night after having drinks. We must get to the root of our temptations to overcome our sexual sins. We must diagnose the situation and say, what came before the act? And get some radical boundaries in place to protect us. As we think about these things, let me think back to our house. Just last weekend, Pastor Luke came over. We had a night of worship in our home last Sunday night. And Pastor Luke came to observe our core team. And when Luke went to leave, I didn't say to Luke... Hey, Luke, you better not go out that front door. You're in trouble. When when he went to leave and go home, I didn't say, Hey, Luke, you better let me hold your hand and walk you to the car. Luke's in a very different stage of life than our three-year-old is. The dangers of the road are the exact same. And yes, Luke should still be cautious when he gets around the road. But he has a different level of maturity. In this passage, Jesus didn't say, everyone must cut off your hand and gouge out your eye. He says, if these things cause you to stumble. I'm not saying that it's wrong to go to the gym. I'm not saying it's wrong to have social media. I'm not telling you young people that you can never be alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend. But Jesus is saying... If these things cause you to struggle with sin, then you must get radical for the sake of holiness. And God, in his goodness, is laying out a path for a life that honors him. And God, in his goodness, has also given us the church. People to help us in these struggles. If you're in a season of life where you're really struggling, you're weak in this area, you you find yourself often being very clumsy. In order for you to walk down the street and not fall in the road, 
Maybe you're in a season of life where you need someone to hold your hand because it's just too dangerous. But listen, in order for that to happen, you must confess your struggles to someone who you trust so that they can encourage you and help hold you accountable. I would go so far to encourage uh, this week in your small groups as you're breaking down the sermon and discussing these things. It's probably best to not meet in a mixed group, to split up guys and girls so that you have more freedom to share these things with one another. With the stats being what they are, the things I shared earlier, I am most confident that there are people who are hearing these words that are struggling in this area. And if that's you, I want to let you know that you are not alone. And if you're not struggling, this is an area that you found victory, know that there are many others who are struggling. And be there to help them walk through life and holiness together. Listen, as I conclude today, as we think back on Bill Gates... This guy has been disgraced publicly. The things that he's been doing in private for 20 years are now all over the internet. For some that hear me speak of faithfulness in relationships and guarding your eyes and pornography, you sit before me this morning with a great weight of shame. You may even want to crawl under your seats and hide. It's a fear that you carry at all times that you might be exposed at any moment. But listen, Jesus often shamed the religious leaders. Those who pretended to have it all together but were filled with evil. But for those who were caught in their sins, who knew that they lived a broken life, Jesus Christ had a very different response. John chapter 8 tells us the story of this woman who was caught in adultery. The things that she'd been doing in her hidden life were now publicly exposed. The story says that she was caught in the act of adultery. Which means she might even stood before the crowds even literally exposed. And there they are, publicly condemning her, wanting to throw stones at her. And Jesus comes. He doesn't pile on her. He rebukes her accusers. And he gets down and he looks her in the eyes and he says, I do not condemn you. He gives her undeserved compassion. But then Jesus says these words, go and sin no more. He calls her to change. Listen, Jesus came for people who fail just like you and people just like me. And he bore the weight of your shame on the cross. And he rose from the dead so that you might be freed from the bondage of the things that oppress you. And today I call on you to receive the compassion 
of Jesus our King, but also to go from this place and sin no more. But thinking about shame when it comes to sexuality, in Genesis chapter 2, we see God's design for sexuality. Check this out. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. See, the beautiful thing is that when we live by God's design, there is no shame. There's nothing embarrassed if we're exposed. There's no shame in sexually desiring your spouse. There's no shame in enjoying the intimacy of your spouse. God has designed us to enjoy sexuality, but in a way that honors others who are created in his image. And not just uses them for your own personal gratification. And God has designed us to enjoy sexuality in the context of a committed marriage. Because this is best for you. And best for your spouse. And best for your children. And while the lies of the evil one bring satisfaction for a moment... They ultimately bring only ruin. Some of the things I've showed, they bring ruin in this life. But as Jesus tells us in this passage, they will also later cast us into hell. But God's design, it causes us to deny ourselves temporary satisfaction, but brings ultimate fulfillment. Fulfillment in this life, but also fulfillment for all eternity. Let us pray. Oh God, uh, I pray for the one today who comes and they feel very self-righteous. They've got it all.